Okay. All right. Well, thank you, brother, for leading us in worship, and thank you for those that serve with you in leading us in worship. As I said already, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I hope when you came in, you brought a Bible with you, something that you preferably can open up, or if not, something that you could turn on, and that you will join me in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. When you came in, um, like I talked about earlier, there's those bulletins on the back of that. There'll be some uh, notes if you want to follow along as we study God's Word together. There'll be some notes to help guide our time through the Word together. So we are going to be in Exodus chapter 4. We are in a series of lessons out of the book of Exodus. And so we started in Exodus 1, as is our practice as a church. We just walk through a book of the Bible together. We may not hit every verse by verse, especially as we get through the book of Exodus, but the idea is to walk through it systematically so we understand about the book. Because every word in the Word of God is relevant to you and I today. And every word in the Word of God is sufficient for you and I today. So some people may say, well, Exodus, that's the second book in the Old Testament. That was a lot of people a long time ago that doesn't pertain to us. Well, there's several things that we need to understand. Number one, it really happened. The book of Exodus is not just a a fairy tale of something that may have taken place. This is actually historical account of what happened with God and his people. That's number one. Number two that I think is important is we understand that all throughout the pages of Scripture, God is revealing himself to us. So how he deals with the Jewish people, how he dealt with Pharaoh coming up, how he deals and how God works and how God thinks, it's all being revealed progressively through the pages of Scripture. So while we not, may not be ethnically Jews in this story, there are lessons and there are principles that God is showing us of how God deals with those that are His. And if we are here this morning, and if you are here this morning, and you are saved, born again, a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of God's kingdom. So these principles have application to our lives Today, So, as we've been going through this series in the book of Exodus, we talk about how the main theme that I'm trying to point out, the main theme that I'm trying to drive to, is how God sets apart a chosen people. And I submit to you this morning that God still has a church. God still has a nation of Israel, and I'm not discounting that, but God has a church, and He calls us to be set apart. The New Testament word is to be sanctified. He calls us to be set apart. So what does that look like to be set apart? We've looked at several different areas about the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. We talked last week in Exodus chapter 3 about the identity of God and how because of who we are in God and who we are now in Christ, it sets us apart from the people around us. The question is, how do we know this God is real? So the top of your notes, How can we prove that God is real? That's the question that we begin with in Exodus chapter 4. Moses was there on the mountain and God comes to him, speaks to him out of the burning bush. If you remember this, he speaks to him out of the burning bush and he says, Moses, I have a plan. I have a purpose for your life. I am going to have you go back to Egypt and you are going to deliver my people out of bondage. And so Moses was like, 
oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. But before I do that, when I go back to them, they're going to say, well, who is this God and what do I tell them? And that was last week, remember, out of Exodus chapter 3. Tell them, I am who I am. God is identifying who he is. Well, the text continues on here in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So right here at the very beginning of this chapter, we see the question arise. Moses is asking the question, God, if I go back and I tell the Jewish people that I haven't seen for 40 years, I go back to Egypt and I go and I stand in front of Pharaoh and I say, Pharaoh, God sent me to tell you to let these people go. They're all going to look and go, how can we know for certain that you are telling the truth? How can we know for certain that this God that you speak of is real. And I'm convinced that every single one of us in this room answers this question on a regular basis in one or two forms. Either we are struggling with the question ourselves when it comes to doubt, when it comes to is this God real? And if God is real, then why is this happening? Why is that happening? If God is real, why is he letting these things take place? If God is real, why does he allow so many people to die in an earthquake in Turkey? If God is real, we ask all these questions. Is God real? Is God real? Is God real? That may be one. A second person in this room may be, or the second person in this room this morning may be asking the question, well, how do I know that God is real? And you're looking to those around you to give you you hope or to give you help or to give you evidence that God is real. So how do we as a church look at one another? How do we as a church look at a community here in Wellston and confidently say this God is real? So that's the question that Moses has for God. God, what am I supposed to do? So then what happens in the following verses that we're going to look at during our time together in the Word this morning is God then gives Moses three different signs. He gives them three different signs so that when he goes back and they say, did God really send you and who is this God and how can we know that this God is real? God gives Moses three different signs and says, we'll do this and do this and do this and they will know without a shadow of doubt that I am real and that I actually sent you. Now here's where I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not telling you this morning that if you do not perform these signs or can't perform these signs, then you can't prove that God is real. Rather, what I want to do with the text this morning is I want to explain and I want us to see this sign. But then I also want to make a connection to how we can demonstrate the same principle in our lives today. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to misuse the text. I don't want to malign the text. I don't want to say, well, you know what, allegorize the text or spiritualize the text. But I want to say, this is the sign that God gave Moses, and the same principle can be demonstrated in our lives today. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So God, so Moses asked God, all right, God, how am I going to prove? How am I going to show them that you really sent me? So then verse 2, this is, one of the scariest places in all of Scripture, in my, in my personal opinion. Verse 2. So what happened? The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Well, Moses is what at this time? He is a shepherd. He's keeping the sheep of his father-in-law in the Midian desert. So he's out there. What did a shepherd have? A shepherd had a, a shepherd staff. He had a stick. Maybe a walking stick. Maybe a whooping stick. Maybe a beating stick. Whatever. You can see those Sunday school stories that talk all about the shepherd's staff. What? Moses says, a staff. Verse 3, and he said, 
throw it on the ground. So Moses has a staff. God says, what is in your hand? Moses goes, huh, a staff. And God said, throw it to the ground. So Moses is like, all right. He throws it on the ground. Verse 3. I'm still in verse 3. And it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Let this be a lesson to all of you sweet people listening to my voice. What did Moses do when he saw a snake? He ran. Now, I'm going to take some liberties here that are not in the text. This is the version of Spence, okay? Number one, it is not ungodly to run from snakes. Number two, it is a biblical precept to run from snakes. And number three, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where snakes are treated as pets or friendly or to be cuddled and loved on. Nowhere. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. Snakes everywhere in Scripture are a bad thing. So if you say, so if you and I are doing life together, right, and we come on, I don't even care if it's a little ringneck snake. I don't care what size it is. A snake is a snake is a snake is a snake. And we come across, and I run off, and I squeal like a girl, and you say, Pastor, that's not very pastoral. That's biblical. <laughs> Straight up biblical. Spiders, don't mind them. Frogs, don't care about them. Snake, I run. I am living out the life of Moses. Now, seriously, what happens? Okay, so Moses has the staff in his hand. God says, throw it down. Moses throws it down. The staff turns into a snake. Moses runs, verse 4. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it by the tail and he became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So we see the first sign that God gave Moses. And what was it? Well, it's simply just that he took the staff, he threw it down, it became a snake. When he grabs it by the tail, it turns back into a staff. Now, we're going to see later on when we get to the book of Exodus that Moses is going to get in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is going to ask for some type of evidence, some type of a sign, and Moses is going to throw his staff down, it's going to turn into a snake, and then somehow you got these witch doctors that are there in Pharaoh's court, and they throw their staffs down, and they turn to snakes, except for Moses' staff swallows their staff. But there's a sign that God gave Moses to say, you need to show that God is real. You are showing somebody that God is who God says. What does God tell? God says to Moses. He speaks to Moses. I put that in your notes. You have the word of God. The sign that God was giving Moses that God is real and that God can be trusted. It was by the word of God that Moses threw the staff down. Now what's the principle that I think that we can look to for our lives today? Church, you and I may not walk around with a staff in our hand, but we can walk around with the Word of God in our hand. We can walk around with the Word of God. The same Word that told Moses to throw the staff down is the same Word that is revealed to us here in the pages of Holy Scripture. And when doing so, when you think about what God was doing with Moses, God was equipping Moses. He was saying, Moses, you have a staff in your hand, and I am equipping you for the work that I have you to do. He, he taught Moses, and he's, he's preparing Moses, if you will. Because think about it. This staff, this staff that Moses has in his hand, that's going to throw it down, it's going to become a snake, he's going to pick it back up. It's the same staff that then Moses uses when he parts the Red Sea. 
It's the same staff that he uses to strike the rock to water the people of God. It's the same staff that he holds up when he's on the mountain and Joshua is fighting in the battles down below. It's the same staff that God uses throughout his ministry to lead God's people and do miraculous things for the people of God. But I submit to you this morning, we have something even more powerful, even greater than just a stick. We have the Word of God. We have a symbol. We have a sign. We have a piece of evidence in our possession that shows people that God is real. God equipped Moses. He taught Moses. He prepared Moses the same way that Ephesians 6 and verse 17, you might jot that down in your margin, Ephesians 6 and verse 17 tells us the Word of God, our Bible, is a sword of the Spirit. You think about Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 talks about the Word of God is living and active. Psalm 119 and verse 105 talks about the Word of God being a lamp unto our feet. You have questions if God is real. In circumstances and situations, you go to the Word of God. You have people around you that question if God is real. You take them to the Word of God. You struggle in seasons of doubt. You struggle in seasons of hope. You struggle in seasons of life. You struggle in seasons of discouragement. You struggle in seasons of dryness. You struggle in seasons of despair. You struggle in seasons of grief. You struggle in seasons of sorrow. You struggle in seasons of feeling like God has abandoned you. You struggle through these seasons of life. What do you do? You go to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God is enough. The Word of God is enough to show us and to show those around us that God is real. So here in the text, in Exodus chapter 4, we have Moses says, well, the first sign he gets is the staff, the staff that is in his hand. And I would tell you in a 2023 context, brother and sister, we have a word from the Lord. It's not just the Word of God that you can use to point to the reality of God, but there's another. The second one that I want you to see with me is the effect of God. The effect of God. Now, here in the text, what goes on? So he puts the snake. And I just think to myself, this is kind of a thought. I'm thinking, God, why'd you choose a snake? I'm like, why, why can't you throw it down and become a lizard? Why can't you throw it down and become a cat? Why can't you throw it down and it become a dog? Why can't you throw it down and it become something else? Why a snake? But that's what happens. That's the sign that he gives to point to that God is real. In the same way that we have a Holy Scripture revealed to us to show us that God is real. But then there's another sign that he gives him. And this one gets maybe even a little more ominous. Verse 6. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand and he put it inside of his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. I, I'm not going to assume that every person in this room understands what I'm talking about when I say leprous. There was a disease that was very rampant during that period of time. And it was leprosy. It wasn't neuropathy where you just lose feeling in your extremities. This was even worse. When you got leprosy, it was a disease of the skin. Your skin lost its feeling. It became, it became infected. And it was as if you were rotting away 
alive. You would sit there and you would have this leprous disease. You would have all these white splotches on your body, on your extremities. And it was the body was just decaying while you were living. And so you would start losing fingers. You would start losing toes. You would start losing arms. It was just rotting as you lived. It was incredibly painful. They thought it was highly contagious. It was a symbol of being unclean. It was a symbol of being the wrath of God. And when you got leprosy, you were ostracized, blackballed, kicked out of the normal way of life. Leprosy was a death sentence. There wasn't a cure. There wasn't a vaccine. There wasn't any hope. You had leprosy. You're going to go stay in this area with all the other lepers until you die. So when Moses puts his hand inside of his cloak and he takes his hand back out and poof, it's leprosy. I can only imagine the concern that may have came upon Moses' face. All right, God, what am I supposed to do? I didn't do anything special. I just put it in here, and I came back out, and it's leprous. But then, notice what it says in verse 7. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. You know that joke, that that little slide of hand that sometimes they do where they do this little move with your fingers, and it looks like your finger falls off? And they do this back and forth, and they get people, little kids, to think that they actually took lost their finger. Or you know how you play with some children and you reach up there and you grab a hold of their nose and you do it like that. It's, ooh, I got your nose. And the kid's going around going, really? I, 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 I don't. These sleight of hand stuff, right? But this wasn't just a sleight of hand. Moses could come up and he could put his hand inside of his jacket and come out and it would be leprous and he could put it back in and it would be clean. It was a strong symbol to say this is the power of God. God can give life and God can take life. God can heal and God can afflict. God can harm and God could sustain. All of these things are being held up inside of that. And I think there's a New Testament principle for you and I in this text having to deal with the effect of God. You see, I submit to you this morning that belief in God will change you. Now you may say, well, we can't go around doing this, doing that. Leprous, not leprous, leprous, not leprous. No, but you and I can go around and we can show people what the effect of God has in our lives. You see, when you believe in God, that is going to change you. It is going to change you. It's going to have some type of effect on you. And that change, when you believe in God, that change will then be evident to other people around you. There is no no place in Scripture that you can show me secret Christians. There's no place that you can show me where once you get saved, once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, now you are incognito, now you are undercover, and now you are disguised forever. No, every place throughout the New Testament, when people got changed by God, people saw it. People could see it. And the effect of the change in you. Moses was able to go in front of Pharaoh, and he's able to do this, and he's able to do that, and he's able to show the effect on his person. Church, People should see a change in us. They should see the effect of God in our lives. They should see the evidence of God in us. So you want to go around showing people that God is real? You go around and you say, let me show you what God has done differently in me. I was joking with Mr. Thurman before the service. Once upon a time, somebody walked in in uniform Just kind of hide. 
kind of slide back, right? Cop is following you as you're driving down the road. You think, are they going to pull me over? You're concerned? You're nervous? You're worried? Somebody of authority shows up. You kind of think, hmm, I wonder what's going on, right? And then you got your mind right with Jesus, and then you got where you're supposed to be at, and now you're not so concerned. Now you're not so worried. Why? Because you're living the life that God has called you to live. There should be a change. There should be an effect. There should be something different about you. So Moses, God gives Moses his sign, and he says, Moses, when you go in front of the people, not only do you have what it is your hand that shows that God is real, but you also have what is inside of you, the effect of God in your life, the change that God has brought about in you. I want to remind you this morning that we are changed from the inside out. John 5, 24 tells us that if you believe that Jesus is who he is and that God sent him, you will be saved. It's the idea that when you believe in God and when your life gets changed by God, there will be a difference that people will see in you. The same difference that Moses could show on display when he did this and he did that. And everybody around Moses saw the change in Moses. People should see the change from who you once were to who you are now. People should see the change that God has made in you. People should see the change of what it means to be saved. So God gives Moses these two signs. He gives him the staff. He throws it down. He gives him the leprosy, the, the, the affliction of leprosy and the healing of leprosy. And verse 8, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now I don't want you to think about the word of God as being an evidence pointing to the reality of God and the presence of God. Now I don't want you to think about the effect of God in our lives as being a, a tool that we can use to show the reality and the presence of God. But I also want you to think with me this morning about the mercy of God. How the mercy of God can be used as a tool to show and evidence God's presence in our lives. Lives. Now, there are several things that sometimes we can easily, easily miss when we're coming to a text like this. Number one is the idea of the Nile. In the Egyptian culture, the Nile was a deity. They worshipped the Nile. And there in that Egyptian culture, you didn't have water wells and city municipality water sources. You had main water sources, and that's all it was. And it was the Nile. And they all depended upon the Nile. That's where they got their water to bathe. That's where they got their water to bake. That's where they got their water to drink. That's where their livestock got their waters. That's where their crops got their waters. All of their life was dependent upon the Nile. And there was even an Egyptian god that was the god of the Nile. And so when you talk about the Nile River and people talk about the importance of the Nile River, it is important because the people looked at that as being a deity, a godlike figure in their lives. So what does God tell Moses to do? <clears throat> god tells Moses that when he gets there to Egypt, they won't believe the staff, if they won't believe the hand in the cloak, then take some of the water and pour it on dry ground and that water will turn to blood. Now, what do I want you to think about this morning? Several things. Number one, water sustains life. But blood gives life. So the people, the Egyptian people, and I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing that 
Because there's a plague that's going to come where the Nile is going to turn to blood. There's a, there's a, there's a the foreshadowing coming when they're talking about the Passover and they're talking about the blood over the doorpost. There's all sorts of things that God is doing right here that is going to be imagery that the people are going to look back to and say, yeah, we saw what God was doing back then. But what is he saying right here? He's saying this thing that all the Egyptian people, that even all the Hebrew people would see as being, hey, this is what we have to have to live. He said, you take that, what they consider to be the source of life, and you pour it out on the ground. It will turn to blood, and it will be a picture. It will be a reminder. It will be something that they will be able to look back to to remind themselves of the power of the blood. The power of of the blood in our lives. I put there in your notes that God gave his son to shed his blood so that we might live. I think there is so much foreshadowing that is going on in just that picture. He is saying, you think that water is all you need to live. No, 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 no. That is just having a temporary life. If you want to have an eternal life, you're going to have to have the blood covering your sins. And now he says, just pour it on the ground and that will be a sign. I my personal opinion and my personal conviction is that God is doing a lot more here than just pouring out a fluid on the ground. God is doing a life lesson. He's doing an illustration. He is showing them to say, you think you have life, why water? The real life comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he tells them, pour it out on the ground, it will become blood, and then they will believe you. All throughout the New Testament, as we fast forward from the book of Exodus, all throughout the New Testament, we see the power of the blood and the contrast between the water and the blood and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's 1 John chapter 5. This is that these three testify, the water, the blood, and the Spirit of God. And it is the blood of Christ that gives us hope. And I think when Moses is doing this, Moses is pointing to the people and saying, listen, I want you to see that there are greater signs to come. For you and I today, we can sit here and we can point people to the mercy of God. We can point people to the mercy of God in our lives that once I was a sinner destined for hell, but God saved me. Once I was lost in my sin and yet the Spirit of God came and drew me. Once I was rebellious in my heart and I was far away from where God wanted to be and yet God brought someone into my life to point me to the truth and show me the truth and God rescued me. Over and over again, I can tell you about the mercy of God and the sweetness of God and the grace of God in my life. So as Moses is sitting there and he is thinking to himself, you know what? God has all the right in the world. He could be completely justified to just destroy all of this. But he doesn't because of the mercy of God. So then how do, we take, how do we take this Old Testament picture and put it in our lives today? We talked about, as a church, the core values, to build families, to teach the Bible, and to be the church. So how do we apply these principles? How do we apply these pictures now? Just several ways. First thing is to put God first in your home. To put God first in your home. If we are going to say that we believe in God, and if we are going to champion that we believe that God is real, and we're going to say that God is who God says He is, then it must begin in our homes. If we're not going to live like it, if we're not going to act like it, if we're not going to tell others like it, then we do we really believe that God is real. It must start in our home. Secondly, we should know and teach the Word of God to others. 
We're not teaching them better self-help principles. We're not teaching them how to do better with their finances or do better with their employment or do better with their relationships. We're teaching them the word of God. Why? Because the only thing that changes a person, only thing that saves a person is the word of God. That's it. That's all we need. I get so aggravated when I see preachers on television or I'm listening to preachers on the radio and they don't talk about the Word of God. Or they get up there and they say, well, let me read one verse for you. And they read one verse and in the next 35 minutes they're telling you stories and talking about something else that doesn't come back to God. If your life does not center around the Word of God, your life is not centered upon God. We cannot accept and we cannot live as if our lives can have God and God's word for 10 minutes and a little devotional one time a day and that is enough. It starts, it is sustained, and it continues with the word of God. And I plead with you, the first day that I walk up and I stand before you during this sacred time in the week, and I do not say, thus saith the word of God. Somebody get me help. <laughs> Somebody hold me accountable. There is nothing more important that we do on a Sunday morning than to open God's word together. Amen. Nothing. And if we want to make an evidence to the world around us that God is real, that God is true, and this God that we live for is who he says he is, it starts with the word of God. None of us in this room can say, well, Spence, I don't need that because you know what? I've got a stick at my house that I can turn into a snake. You stay at home. Oh, Spence, I don't need the Word of God. See, I can do this, and I can put my hands in my pocket, and I can bring it out, and it can be leprous, or it can have all kinds of uh, deformities, or it can have all kinds of maladies. You've been playing with armadillos, and you need to stay away. Well, Spence, you don't understand. See, I can go to that tap water, and I can pour me a glass of water. I can pour it on the tile floor, and it becomes blood. That is not necessary. We have the Word of God. We have the effect of God in our lives. We have the mercy of God that we can point to. We have all of these ways that we can show people that God is real. And brothers and sisters, when you get to that moment in that time in your lives, when you start to doubt, when you start to question, and when you're struggling in a magnificent way, God has given you signs. God has given you evidence that he is real and he's real in your life. And this last one I want you to remember, want to remind you of. But how do we show this to a watching world? So that's the question that Moses begins with. You go back up to verse 1. Moses says, so if I go back to the people, how will they listen to me? And why would they listen to me? And they'll ask, who are you? And what does God say? You know what? I'm going to give you these signs. And I want to tell you the best, most effective tool we have as a church to reach community, to reach our families, to reach our coworkers, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is to display a changed Life. And yet, there are Christians living in this world today that are living just like the world today. We come to church and we say the right things and then we go to Black Friday and we act just like lost people. We come to church and we say the right things and then we go to the restaurant and we're rude to the waitstaff. 
We go to church and we say the right things, then we go home and watch the things the lost world watches. We come to church and we say the right things, then we go to basketball games and we act just like a lost world. We come to church and we say the right things, and yet we don't live a displayed, changed life. Oh, Spence, if we just had snake sticks. Oh, Spence, if we just had skin changers. Oh, Spence, if we just had water to blood tricks, that is what we need. And I submit to you this morning that even though God gave those to, to Moses for the purpose of leading the people out, brothers and sisters, today we still have signs and evidences and means to point a watching world to say that God is real. But my question for us this morning is, is there evidence of God in your life? When people look at your life, can you show them? Can you prove? Can you point to them that God is real? You might be here this morning and you might be having doubts. Well, I'm not sure if God is real or not. I'm not sure how, how I believe that. I'm supposed to believe that. I know that I'm supposed to believe that, but I'm just not really sure. This morning may be an opportunity for you to ask questions, to talk through what that looks like, to know for certain that God is real. And then God has saved you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've just gone through a really, you're going through and you've gone through a really tough time in life. And you've got doubts. And you know the world will try to say you need to be embarrassed and you need to feel ashamed. And you know what, you, you shouldn't talk about those doubts. And yet those doubts are real. And it's an opportunity to go to the word of God and say, what does the word of God say? I don't want anybody to feel guilty or ashamed of having questions or doubts. Maybe you're here this morning. It's not that you have questions or doubts. It's just the fact that there's no evidence in your life that God is real. And you come to church and you say the things and you do the things. And yet when you walk out of these doors, there's no evidence that God is who he says he is. So then you send somebody an invite to Christmas. You send somebody an invite to Easter. You say something on social media about how, you know what, you love Jesus or, or you love your church or you love this. And people are like, I don't know where that came from. That person does this the rest of the time. And they see no evidence in your life. And yet we've been called to go and tell the people that God has sent his son to die on a cross so that people might be saved. Is there evidence in your life that God is real today? Would you bow your heads with me?